Thank you, Brother Luigi. Love that. Acts chapter 9 tonight. Acts chapter number 9. <clears throat> there was somebody else in this passage of Scripture whose name was Paul who thought the very, very same thing that Luigi was singing about. The Lord was the best thing that's ever happened to him. And uh, we're going to read this passage here, very familiar passage of the man whose name was Saul, who had an encounter with Christ, by Christ, and became the Apostle Paul that we've known him to be. And, and, um, and I want to bring to a close the series, and, and, and forgive me, I don't have notes uh, up on the screen here tonight, but I wanted to bring to a close the series on the different seasons we've been looking at. I was thinking about this last one um, and thought maybe I would finish before, but, but I'm just going to add one more. I think this is the seventh one. And tonight I want us to look at the, the season of decision making. And when you have a decision and you need to make a decision, not sure what to do. And I, my mind went to Saul. And he had a decision. He had many decisions. To the end of his life, he had decisions, and so will you. But what do we do when we don't have the answer right before us, but yet we're faced with the crisis of decision? Well, let's look at Saul, Paul, and see if God would help us tonight. Let's go ahead and stand with your permission as we read these verses out of respect for the Bible. Beginning in verse 1 in Saul. Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, I don't have time to go into it, but if you mark in your Bible or make a note, make a note of that phrase, of this way. Those in the early church, they were recognized as people of this way, which is another way of saying they were not about a denomination. They were not about a uh, just a, a religious uh, type of living. They were about the person of Jesus Christ who was the way, the truth, and the life. Doctrine and what Jesus taught. And so you'll find throughout the New Testament references to this way. What kind of a way? Again, that's another message. I think it's a good one, but it's not for tonight. If you find any of this way, he was told, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? He had a decision. He needing to know what to do. And the Lord responds to him saying, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. 
I want us to look at this tonight and maybe glean some things that could help us when we're in a season of needing to find the answer to a decision. Decision-making crisis. Paul was in one of those. And if you haven't, which I'm sure all of us have, we soon will be. Because God keeps us in that realm for a particular reason. And so let's look at Saul, who became Paul, and get God's help tonight. Thank you. Please be seated. There comes those times in our lives that we're in a season of decision. Now, we, what we need to understand is that at any given point in time, in a corporate worship time, a corporate service like this, it might be very critical time for several individuals uh, needing to know an answer. And there might be times where we may have no one who's facing this particular season but these are always things that can help us. You put into your arsenal, your toolbox of discipleship, and, and God will bring this to our mind and help us when there is a season of decision. You know, many times people make decisions for different reasons, and there are different kinds of decisions. For example, there are many who have made simply emotional decisions. They hear a message they get a tear in their eye. Maybe they get a lump in their throat and they have a funny feeling. Sometimes they make a quick decision, but it's emotional and yet it doesn't last. And then some people make a ritualistic decision. In other words, they grow up in a church as many have done. When it comes time for them to be baptized, they're baptized. When it comes time for them to, uh, to do the next step or the next thing, they just do it because that's what we do. Why do you do it? We don't know. That's just what we do. And there are a lot of those ritualistic decisions. And then some make religious decisions. They actually feel like I need a church. And they feel like I, I ought to be a part. But, but they, they end up becoming something more of a... Uh, Sunday morning kind of a Christian. It's just religious. Uh, they may even come to other services, but they're just, it's just a religious void that it's feeling. And then some people make intellectual decisions. In other words, they, they weigh the facts. They say, all right, this makes sense. And, and uh, here's God. Here's what God says. And, and so we're going to do it. And it, and it seems to be, well, that's where we ought to be, and that's the right place to be, except for the fact James tells us that the devils make intellectual decisions. And so what I believe that God wants us to do is have certainly an understanding, our mind being engaged, come now, let us reason together, reasonable service but he wants us to do so with conviction and faith. And Saul is making a decision, and you could look at it initially if we didn't know the rest and read the rest, and you think, well, this is just an emotional decision Saul is about to make. I mean, he's kind of vulnerable right now, and, and, and so he's, he's kind of held over a barrel as an emotional decision. Well, this is just a religious decision, or it's just an intellectual decision. He can't see. He's kind of uh, at the mercy of somebody else. But there's something that happens here because of his responding right in this season of decision 
that transformed his life. And it helped him with every other decision that he would end up making until he takes his last breath. You know, every conversion, every conversion, every salvation is a miracle. Yet there's something special about Saul's conversion, not because of who he became or how special he was, but there's something that I always thought special about Saul's conversion because it made this statement. If God could save Saul, he could save anybody. If God could save Saul, he could save you. The chapter unfolds how Jesus lays hold of Paul and he tames him and he turns him into from a persecutor into a preacher. And so in the first 20 verses, which we didn't read, you find God's making of, of Saul, uh, this uh, turning him into Paul. And we find his condition in these first few verses. He's not only lost, but he is angry at those who are saved. His goal was to stamp out Christianity. Listen, Jesus is the one who said, no man can serve two masters. See, some of you think you've pulled the wool over somebody's eyes. You've got your life under control. You're in charge. You can play the game here. You can put on a front here. But Jesus said, while others may be fooled, he's not fooled. You can't serve two masters. You either hate the one, love the other, else you will cling to the one and despise the other. And the truth of the matter is that when you find yourself agitated and bothered and, and put out and even angry at those who are challenging you for righteousness sake and calling you to a standard of righteousness and that bothers you, well, that ought to tell you what God has plainly said. You're not on his side. You're on the other side. The reason why the Bible's boring and you hate much of Christianity and you want to, to, to drink up everything that will one day, 1 John 2, 17, pass away is because you've not experienced what Saul experienced. Saul, who is not just trying to give Christians a hard time, not just trying to kill a few, he's trying to stamp out Christianity. But God changed his life and maybe God needs to do the same with someone here tonight. You know, Saul, he, his condition was he's a lost man. He's very educated. He was lost. He was Saul. He was a Pharisee. But he was lost. He was religious, but he was lost. He tried hard to please God on the outside, but his inner man, he was torn apart because he's lost. And rather than dealing with his emptiness, he gave into his aggression. He gave into his destructive agitation. And for those who struggle with doubt, what you'll find is this. When you, when you do not like the, the voice of God, you don't like the, the work of God. What happens is what Saul did. You, you try to silence those that are making you uncomfortable. And so Saul didn't like the message he was hearing from the followers of Christ. So he was going to do something about it. 
not only do you see his condition, but verse number three, and that's in verse one and two, <clears throat> he was a great leader, born in Tarsus, a Greek city. It was an influential university center there. He acquired the best education. He was a religious man, <clears throat> but he's lost. Verse number three, we'll see his conviction. He journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Let me say a couple things about this. The Bible tells us that, that Saul, he was confronted by Jesus. See, the reason why Saul had not perhaps gotten saved earlier is because he had not experienced confrontation and a conviction to this degree. Now, I believe he had been convicted and Jesus said to him a little bit later, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. The pricks were the goads that the farmers would use to goad these animals along. And Jesus is saying, my goading in your life you can kick against it. You can say no to Jesus, but it's hard. Why? Because you're acting in a way that you should never act as a creation of God. You're, you might not be a child of God, but as, as his creation, you were made in his image, in God's image. And so to go against truth, it's hard, Jesus said. It's hard. That's why people who go against it, they have little joy. Or they have happiness if I can get out of this place. Well, Paul had joy when he couldn't get out of jail. He had the joy of the Lord. He said, rejoice always. He said, for to me to live as Christ and to die, it gets even better. Why? Because he had joy. What some of you don't have. Why? Because some of you don't have Jesus. And Jesus says, it's hard. It's hard to kick against conviction. Now hear me. John 16 tells us that it's the Holy Spirit who has come into this world to reprove, to convict, convince of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I think it's John 16, maybe verse 3, maybe a little bit further down. But the Holy Spirit has come to convince of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know the gospel message? how that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And we say concerning the gospel, sin is the problem. The Holy Spirit has come to reprove the world of sin. Why? Because sin is the problem. Hell is the consequence. The Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The consequence of sin. Sin is the problem. Hell's the consequence. And the Holy Spirit has come to convince people hell is a real place. Hell is not just a, a cuss word. Hell is not just a figment of your imagination. Hell is not some place here on earth. I don't care how bad it might be. Hell is a real place. God never intended for you to go. The place he created for the devil and his angels. But is the place you must go if you don't take Jesus to be your savior before it's too late. Sin is the problem. Hell is the consequence. And what is the third one? Jesus is the answer. Going back to John 16, the Holy Spirit when he's come, he'll convince the world of sin, 
Righteousness and judgment. Sin, that's the problem. Judgment, that's the consequence right in between. Righteousness, that's Jesus. His righteousness. He's the answer. See, the Holy Spirit, his, one of his great responsibility is to bring you to Jesus. And the Spirit of God had been at work in Saul's life. And now Jesus himself confronts him. And here's the thing that, that Jesus says to Saul. Here's another, another thought here. And it just actually, Dr. Childs, this hit me today reading this. Out of all the times I've read this, I never had this thought till today. It's just right there. But he said um, to Saul, he said, um, it's hard to kick. It's hard to go against the conviction." And he says to Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who was it that Saul was angry with? Who was it he was trying to stamp out? It was the church, Christianity. And here's what Jesus is helping Saul before he ever even gets saved. You have a problem with one of mine? You have a problem with me. And he's telling Saul before he ever even gets saved. If you're not right with the body. You're not right with me. That's what Jesus is saying. Saul says I'm trying to put out these, these people. And Jesus said you're messing with my body. Why persecutest thou me? If you're not right with the body, you're not right with God. Amen. You're not. You, you gripe and complain, you talk back, you murmur, you gossip about somebody. Jesus has a question for you. Why persecutest thou me? You know, no, I'm just talking about the people who are doing wrong that I don't like and Jesus says, they're mine. It's my church. It's his body. And so we find Saul, he's met by Jesus. He falls down. There were others we saw there who they could hear a voice. They couldn't see anything. Saul could. You know, God can be working in somebody's heart right beside you, but in your heart... You're missing them. Why? Because maybe you've said no one too many times. Let me remind you of this. Nobody gets saved when they want to get saved. Nobody has ever gotten saved because they prayed a prayer. Nobody can get saved when they're good and ready. Nobody will get saved. Nobody can get saved. Nobody has ever gotten saved until the Holy Spirit of the living God has done the convicting work in their life. There are people who have prayed prayers and that's all that they did. You cannot get saved until it's the Holy Spirit who is doing the work of conviction, convincement in your life. So you can talk about your salvation experience. 
When was it, however, that God pointed out that you were a sinner on your way to hell, you deserved judgment because you're separated from God and you knew you needed Jesus? Listen, this will cut down on some of this. We prayed a prayer, I got saved, dunked into the tank, put my name on a membership roll, but I'll be back around maybe Christmas. You got something, but you didn't get Jesus. But when Saul met Jesus, he was convicted and convinced. And Jesus is helping him to see in a few short verses, a few short words, that what is happening is you've experienced a heavy dose of conviction, Saul. You didn't find me, I found you. And part of the reason, I think, for people who are not followers of Jesus is somehow they think they found him. And therefore, they can come back around on visitation days. But you didn't find him. He found you. And Saul was confronted by Jesus. And when he realizes it, he puts his dependence upon the Lord when he says, who art thou, Lord, recognizing he's a higher being than he is? Who art thou, somebody higher and more exalted than I am? And Jesus didn't say, well, I'm a religious object. He didn't say, I'm a higher power. He didn't say, even though it had been true, I'm deity. He said, I'm Jesus. You say, well, you can get kicked out of a school using the name Jesus. You can get yourself killed 2,000 years ago using the name Jesus. And Jesus let Saul know, whoever you thought was in charge, I'm Jesus. Listen to me. You'll either meet Jesus. Are you listening? You'll either meet Jesus here and now or you'll meet him before he casts you into hell. And he's helping Saul know you have a decision in in this matter. What you do with Jesus will determine what he does with you. And there I believe, based upon Saul's other testimony in the book of Acts, he places his faith, trust, dependence upon Jesus in that moment. You know, a lot of times people may come forward to get saved, and, but I believe many of them get saved before they ever get forward. Because it's not coming forward that saves you, it's not praying the prayer that saves you, it's putting your faith, trust, dependence upon Jesus Christ. And Saul put his faith and trust in Jesus. And then after that happens, he asked the question that every Christian, every new convert ought to ask. What next? What must I do? What do you want me to do? Where do I go from here? And we have no reason to think that Saul stopped asking that kind of question for the next 30 years. There's no indication in all the Bible that Saul stopped asking the Lord, what do I do? What do you want me to do? And the Bible says that when Paul, Saul, asked Jesus, what do you want me to do? Notice what he says in verse number six. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, 
Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And notice verse number 8. And Saul arose from the earth. When his eyes were open, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. Saul asked, what do you want me to do? He could have been referring to a number of things. What do I do right now? <laughs> what is there for me to do? Uh, my plans have been interrupted. My life has been changed. My soul has been saved. What do I do now? He could have been thinking about the future. What do I do now? My, my, my job, I, I can't be about the same business. What do I do? And Jesus says to him, get up and go to town. I've said before, I think so often people are wanting to know God's will, but they're not wanting to do what he says. I'd like to know who to marry. I'd like to know what ministry to do. I'd like to know where to live, what job to take, what career path. And Jesus simply says, tithe. He says, make up your bed. Obey and honor your parents. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. No, no. What I'm asking is, what career path? Who do I marry? What, what, what school? What job? What am I supposed to do? Big picture. And Jesus is trying to get us to see the even bigger picture. Amen. And that is, what does he want? That's right. See, we often ask God, and it's kind of like will of fortune. I think I'll spin again. I didn't like that answer. Let me spin again. Let me buy a vow. And Jesus just says, if you're not obeying what you already know, why should I tell you something that you can't handle? In other words, if you're not if you have a bad attitude as a young person, not obeying mom and dad and honoring them and loving them, what brain cell do you have that says you should be in charge of your life? If you can't make right decisions as a kid, why should you be treated like an adult and do your own thing? You see, does that make sense? Yeah. If you can't drive the lawnmower, why should you drive an automobile? If you're not tithing, why would God say, let me bless you with a wonderful job so you can steal more from him? If you're not seeking God first, why would you expect Him to give you all these other things 
Matthew chapter 6. See, Saul says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now that we've got straight, you're God, I'm not. What do you want me to do? Jesus said, get up and go to town. How many books of the Bible did Paul write? Was it 13? 13? Do you know when he found out he was going to write 13 books of the Bible? It wasn't until after he got up and went to town. See, if you can't make your bed, it's a pretty good chance you're not going to be able to disciple somebody else to Jesus. If you can't treat your parents with the respect, with obedience and honor, you have no business ever getting married. In fact, how you treat your mom and dad is how you would treat your spouse. That's why God gives you parents to put you through a 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, for some of you, 30 and 35 and trial period just to see how you would do with somebody you're married to. Oh, but if I marry somebody, it will be because I love them. Well, if you have a hard time obeying the authority that God's put in your life, what happened to your love for the one who put them in your life whose name is God? If you can't trust Him with where you are, then why would he trust you to make a decision when it will, in fact, ruin somebody else's life? So, what do I do in a season of decision? Ask. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, that's the thing I've been doing. I've been asking. Well, what has the Lord been saying? Well, I think, I think what the Lord's telling me, He's been telling me in my heart, you know, I just need to, I need to get away and get out of the house. I need to, I need to go and do, just get somewhere else. I need a clean slate. I think our, if our churches would have known about the transfer portal that they have in college football, they would have entered the transfer portal for churches. Instead, they just blame it on God. I just think we got to go somewhere else, do something else. Why don't you just try getting up and going to town? Why don't you just do what God told you to do? Which one of those commandments wasn't a big deal? John 2 and verse 5, Mary said unto the servants, Whatsoever he, Jesus, saith unto you, do it. It's good advice. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall bring it to pass. See, we're looking for him to bring it to pass when we are not trusting with all of our heart. We're not uh, in all of our ways acknowledging him. But he says, no. When I say get up and go to town, get up and go to, but I can't see. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know how to do, I don't know what I'm doing. Saul couldn't see. He was blind. But when we think we are trusting God and obeying God and I'm right with God, well, how are you with the people that God puts into your life? You know, Saul had to rely upon somebody else 
He couldn't read their resume to see if they were qualified. But God told him, this is what you're going to do. And God led Saul to Ananias. And there's a lot of people who would not have taken the appointment to meet with Saul. But Ananias did because he had been seeking the Lord. And and the Lord told him, here's what you're going to do. And here Saul enters into discipleship. You know what we need when we need to know the answer to a decision is ask the Lord and then do what he tells us to do. It's not, well, I got to go to town and then he'll tell me. No, it should be every moment of your life. Lord, what would I have me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? Trust him with all of your heart. Stop leaning to your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he should direct your path. Trust him and obey. Trust him and obey. And Saul had to become content that he is God. Jesus is God. Paul was not, and he could trust the Lord. If you want me to never have my eyesight, so be it. What do you want me to do? If you want me to have my eyesight, what do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do? And because Saul became Paul and trusted God and obeyed that God, he gave Saul a great commission, a great ministry. Why? Because he was a good steward over the crisis of decisions. Saul wasn't there to make a name for himself. He said, I'm the Apostle Paul, the least of all saints. Paul never said, boy, I'm glad God found me. He needed some help in the ministry. I'm glad he got me. Oh, Paul says, he counted me faithful. Paul says, I'm not, even, I'm, not, I'm not even close to being worthy, but God counted me. And I thank God that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, what I need to know is not some kind of a spiritual answer. I'm not facing a spiritual decision. I need to know about my job. I need to know about my relationship. I need to know about all these things. I want to tell you, every decision is a spiritual decision because it all involves, Lord, what are you up to? What do you want me to do? Brother Sam Davison helped me with a lot of things and in, in the pastoring aspect. And one of the things he helped me with was cutting down on counseling. And I just, I feel like I'm not a good counselor, but I just want to help in whatever way God wants me to help. But I just found, why, why, why do I feel like I need a counselor after trying to counsel somebody? And, 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 and I mean, when the coffee's not doing the job and it's not helping, I mean, something's not right. And he asked a couple questions and he said, I'll tell you the problem. You're counseling people. You're giving them what, what the Bible says, but they're not doing it. And so they want to come back, and all you're doing is having talking sessions, and it'll never work until they do what God says to do. And because of that, what I do is I give homework. Here's what you need to do. And if you don't do it, don't waste your time. Don't waste mine because I can't help you. It's God that you need. I'm trying to get you to draw close to the Lord. And until you do what you've been told to do, you don't have the answer. 
Oh, you can ask a hundred other people and they can all say, good thing, that's good, that's good, that's good. But what about God? What will thou have me to do? It's not that difficult. Getting saved is simple. Put your faith in Jesus. The Christian life is simple. Trust and obey. There's no way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I'm working on a song. I'm going to get that together before long. It's simple. Every one of us have different, different decisions. We need to change our mind that it's not about getting the answer from God for my dis- He's not a helpline. Yes, um, are, are you the divine fortune teller? Can you tell me? You know, I, I've, I've heard of Christians who will go to those palm readers. I've heard Christians call those, those 900 numbers. And I've thought maybe I could make a, a little, we did those 16 hours that can change your life. I can do one of those and put my number on there and say, hey, idiot, call this. I mean, what are they going to say? I sense that you're in need of money. Well, who ain't? Um, I've got a feeling that you are, you've, gone, you, you've come on some hard times. Well, of course, if they're an idiot enough to call the number, they're having a hard time. And I want to say to God's people, have you lost your Bible? When are we going to get to the point of saying, he is God? He's not our palm reader. He's not our fortune teller. He's not a genie. He's God. And what he taught Saul in that road, Saul never could get over. Just what Luigi said. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. And to his last breath, Saul, who became Paul, Paul's testimony was, for to me to live is Christ. And to die, it's graduation. Because he learned what to do in a season of decision. What would thou have me to do? And the Bible says, he immediately arose and it went unto the city and it was told him then what he must do next. And God is too good a God to let you down or to steer you wrong. But he is God. And he's not here to grant you your three wishes. He's not here to just see which side you're on. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Saul surrendered to the Lord. When are you going to surrender? When are you going to yield? When are you going to give up and give in? And let God step in. Stand together, please.